Yeehaw, partners, this is your friend Big Tex calling from Big Tex's BKE Emporium. Folks, we got all sorts of ghost readers out here. We got your divining rods. We got your PKE standards. We got your LKE elites. Hey, we even got some of those fancy Chinese AK-35s. If you're looking for PKE readers, and come on down to Route 35. Turn left at the Walmart, and I got my van behind the Target, the other Target. That's Big Texas PKE Emporium. Remember, if Big Texas is shooting you right, our PKEs are out of sight. For a deal that's out of sight, old Big Tex will shoot you right. Not shooting, Tex! Welcome back to Ghostbusters Minute. Ghostbusters Minute is the fan podcast that recaps and overanalyzes the classic 1984 film Ghostbusters. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And we are here to bring you at minute number 14 of Ghostbusters. But before we do that, Brady, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm well rested and ready to talk about a very interesting episode, or a very interesting minute uh, in the timeline of Ghostbusters. Very, very. lot to chew on. Yeah, a lot of uh, political implications of the conversations that's had here and kind of the overall political themes of the movie, which, believe it or not, are actually there in this crazy horror comedy. If you want to look under the subtext, there's Ivan Reitman definitely had some uh, intentions on uh, on what this movie was trying to say. So, uh, But yeah, if you're ready... We can just go ahead and roll right on into this. Let's do the recap. So minute number 14. Now, in minute number 13, we ended off with Dean Yeager just having called Peter Venkman's program tripe. At minute 14, Dean Yeager tells Venkman that he is a poor scientist. Venkman's response? I see. The Ghostbusters are kicked off university grounds. At minute 14, 15 seconds, Ray and Venkman are drinking on university grounds. Ray says that they can forget MIT and Stanford as options. At minute 14, 20 seconds, Venkman tells Ray not to get too upset and that Einstein came up with some of his best stuff as a patent clerk. At minute 14, 30 seconds, Ray tells Venkman that life is different outside the university. He says in the private sector, people expect results. At minute 14, 40 seconds, Venkman tells Ray that this is karma and a seemingly musical number. Venkman goes on, goes on to tell Ray that this all happened for a reason. At minute 14.53 seconds, when Ray asks Finkman what the purpose was, Vinkman says to go into business for themselves. And that was minute 14 of Ghostbusters. And like we said earlier, this is uh, this minute has the inklings of the beginnings of kind of the overall like political tone of the movie and the general idea behind it about these guys going into business for themselves. Uh, we continue the themes in the prior minute uh, carried on into the beginning of this one of the establishment versus the working man. Or in this movie, since it's a comedy, it kind of takes it as this uh, elitist society, which would be the university versus the Joker who's just trying to make a buck being Peter Venkman and the, and then Egon and, and Ray by proxy. So, um, which was something you saw a lot in 80s comedies, whether it was a country club or yeah. a university or some kind of a, an elitist establishment like that. It was it was all over the place. It was it, always your, your antagonist. In Caddyshack, it was the older, established rich people versus the nouveau riche Rodney Dangerfield, who I think he was like a scientist or had invented something or something like that. And he comes in and he, you know, he doesn't play by the older guy's rules and he just wants to have fun. And he's like... Hey, everybody, we're all going to get laid and stuff like that. That's pretty good. Yeah, thanks. I do a pretty good Rodney Dangerfield. I get get a decent amount of respect. Something else that goes on here uh, before we get into the the nitty-gritty is I always thought when I was a kid watching this movie that Peter was going into a musical number. Yes. Whenever 
He stands up for whatever reason, Ray. Well, Call it. Yeah, well, go ahead. The, the score kind of even leads you to believe that. The score leads into it. It's the fact that he starts getting up and talking and it just, it seems like a musical number is about to happen. Everything mm-hmm. about it, what he's saying kind of goes in beat with the song. <laughs> really, really strange. And so I remember as a kid always thinking it was going to go into that and then being kind of disappointed when it didn't happen. Well, the 80s was about the time that you would maybe still see something like that in a major motion picture. Do you remember, and this really wasn't 80s, I think it was the late 70s, but Superman, the movie? Oh, yeah. That Lois Lane has that whole musical number that was cut from the movie? Do you know about yeah, this? Yeah, that's right. So Superman takes her by the hand and he's flying her along at night after their interview and she's in like a nightgown or something like that. And there was there there was a, an entire musical number written and then when they recorded it, they were like, this is really cheesy. Let's just have her speak out the words. Yeah, which isn't strange at all. Mm-hmm. But it used to be prior to that, uh, like the 60s, 70s, uh, you, you know, coming out of the musical era in the, you right. know, the studios. It wasn't uncommon to have a musical number in uh, in a movie like this, in a comedy. So yeah. uh, it wouldn't have been out of place at all to have Peter Vinkman get down and say, call it fate, yeah. call it karma. So for any viewers of the movie who have never seen that Good luck trying to see anything else from here out. <laughs> yeah, right there in front of you. Uh, other things that are right there in front of you in this movie are the social and political right, yeah. subtext. So let's get into it. There is a huge uh, subtext, and we're not the first to notice this. There's been many treaties on the internet and articles you can read on how Ghostbusters is the perfect libertarian movie. And that's not so much apparent right now in this minute. Later in the movie, that becomes the... Um, uh, the in the conflicts in the movie, you know, there's the conflict of the Ghostbusters versus Gozer, but there's also the conflict of the Ghostbusters versus the EPA. So kind of like the man versus society aspect of it. Right. Uh, and we'll get into uh, that again later. But let's go ahead and just start touching on this now because these themes do go throughout the movie and they're played for comedic effect, of course. But uh, Ghostbusters as a libertarian philosophy, the Washington Examiner's Philip Klein ran a story called Why Ghostbusters is the Most Libertarian Movie of All Time. Uh, this was actually run right after Harold Ramis's death. And then a few weeks ago, it was republished. Uh, so it popped up. You might have seen it on Facebook or That's something. That's unfortunate because I, I would have loved to have seen his reaction to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know that that was, um, I mean, I can't speak for the man, but I don't know that that was necessarily his political philosophy, but it yeah. was definitely uh, Ivan Reitman's philosophy, or at least at the time. You know, and, the, you know, the 80s was the Reagan era. You know, it was the era where yeah, everybody was, right. you know, uh, greed is good, as Gordon Gecko would tell us. You know, Wall Street ran everything. The yuppies were running town. Uh, it was definitely the, 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 the time of uh, the Ayn Rand. Uh, objectivist philosophy and libertarian thinkings were in the, yeah. in the in the in the in the public conscious, and they still are today. But that was kind of the first time you really saw it there. Um, but anyway, in this article, uh, he states that repeatedly the Ghostbusters find established government bodies stumping stumbling blocks in their pursuit of business goals. From the article, Ivan Reitman actually is quoted uh, as once telling Entertainment Weekly, and this is a quote: "I've always been something of a conservative libertarian." The first movie deals with what's going on, what goes on when you go into business for yourself, and it's all anti-EPA, too much government regulation. It does have a very interesting point of view that really resonates. So you can see there that Ivan Reitman is putting some of his own ideas in there. Now, again, it's not he's not shoving it down your throat. Yeah. They're played for comedic effect. You know, the the idea of the Ghostbusters versus the EPA and Walter Peck later on is definitely Walter Peck is a movie character. He's yeah, not like a real absolutely. person. You know, which which is strange because it's such a uh, I don't know a plausible thing. It's it's a a realistic antagonist in the mm-hmm. movie, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, is like a real thing. It's as opposed to Gozer or, right. you know, something like that. Um, so to bring that human element in really gives this movie a realistic edge that mm-hmm. we've we've gone over 
so many times so far in the podcast. But yeah, and again, it's it's playful with it. It's it's comedic oh, yeah, yeah, with yeah. that as, as it is throat. comedic with Dean Yeager mm-hmm. being the dean of the university. And it's almost like the Ghostbusters are almost like we mentioned earlier uh, when we first saw their office. They're almost like fraternity. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's almost yeah. like they come. You know, Dean Yeager would be like Ghostbusters. Yeah. And another thing I give the movie credit for is the fact that. Walter Peck is not, he's, he's a human. He's a guy. He's doing his job. And he might be, you know, right. a prick. A I government guess. stiff. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but it's still not cheesy in the way that I think a lot of other movies would have. A lot of other movies, you know, especially kid-oriented movies, would not have gone with such a heavy political and social themes. It's, it's interesting. But keep, keep going. So you watched a video earlier that was published by Cracked.com. Cracked.com, that is. It's probably my favorite website on the yeah. entire internet other than ytmnd.com. But um, tell me a little bit about what this video was pointing out about Ghostbusters. Well, it was, first off, it wasn't, you know, it's it's something that's touching on political uh, elements, which can easily be just in your face, down your throat. Not, not at all. This was nothing like that. Um, it was really engaging, really fun. And pointed, they do some great video work over there. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, very well produced. Um, and they presented all of these uh, this uh, subtext the fact that you can read this movie in a different way and um just kind of spelled it out spelled it all out for you so for the listeners who are uh, curious i highly recommend you go and seek it out yeah and we'll uh, on the day that this goes live if we can we'll try to remember to put uh that episode on our website yeah. uh, or, or on our facebook group excuse me so if you if you're following uh ghostbusters minute on facebook we'll have the video up there and we can kind of jump off that as some talking points we'll but. um you know, let's also make a reminder. Uh, we'll try to have it on our YouTube description as well for this episode. Okay, I said a reminder right now. Siri, remind us about that thing we just said. Okay, so one of the ideas that this cracked video talks about is they talk about the Ghostbusters as a, uh, a private entity as opposed to a public service, correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah, so they are saying that the Ghostbusters are acting almost like a public service, like a firefighter or a mailman or a police officer. But in fact, there's no governing body uh, telling them how to do their jobs, Absolutely. right? So, there's oversight boards for things like that. There's a fire chief that comes in and makes sure, you know, that it, fire engines work correctly and yeah. that, you know, uh, businesses uh, can only have, you know, that's why you, when you walk into a restaurant, it says maximum seating, 240 people, because a fire chief has been in and said, hey, if you put anybody else in here and there's a fire, there could be a big problem. Yeah. So that's funny because there was apparently uh, no one there in the movie to tell them you cannot use a siren. It right. It's against the law to do that. And what's funny is that, you know, these guys go about doing that for so long and with that much attention, as well as using unlicensed equipment, you know, uh, nuclear accelerators for that matter. And the EPA doesn't really get involved until much later in the film, presumably months into them being Ghostbusters. So here's a question for you. In the established universe of Ghostbusters, uh, it, in, the, in the canonical universe, it is established that ghosts exist. Should ghostbusting be a public service? That's a very good question. I have never thought of that. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, as, uh, as Peter Venkman says in the sequel, you know, sometimes shit happens. Who are you going to call? Right. And, uh, yeah, somebody has to do it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny because, um, extermination isn't a public service. So like, you know, I call my exterminator and he comes by and sprays my house for roaches. It doesn't do a lot of good because I have an oak tree in my backyard, but still, uh, yeah. it's not something that, uh, now he, of course he, he can only use certain chemicals. Because they have said, okay, you know, if you use these, these chemicals contain carcinogens. This could be harmful to a human being. This is, this is the thing that kills termites over here. So there is an oversight 
of what he does that someone says, Hey, you can do this. You can't do this, but it's not a public utility with the ghostbusters. They have the ability to cause such damage, such collateral damage in, in, in getting a ghost. I'm curious in that universe, if, the city wouldn't take out a bond maybe on all the destruction that they're going to make uh, because no one would insure them. That's for damn sure. Right. I don't see anybody with enough uh, money to come in and say like, hey, you guys, you know, you're throwing lasers around the room and you could destroy chandeliers and stuff like that on just a, you're only collecting $5,000, but you're doing $25,000 yeah. worth of damage. And that, that's stuff they actually touch on briefly in the second movie. But that just goes to raise the question. Uh, is Walter Peck really an antagonist? Mm-hmm. Is he a bad guy? Or is he just a, a guy doing a job, a realistic job that somebody actually needs to do? Now, another question that the uh, cracked video that you watched raised was that the Ghostbusters are out there uh, arresting ghosts, if you will, and trapping them and then storing them away and putting them in a prison of their own design. Yeah, with no trial. Yeah, do you think ghosts deserve a fair trial? Man, uh, I don't know. See that's uh, yeah. I, so I have no answer. if they were, are they breaking the law in in their existence? Okay. Well, here's the thing. At what points in the movie do and this is a legitimate you know question? Uh, do we see the ghost actually breaking the law or harming anything? One, the cab driver is driving around, you know, mm-hmm. doing his thing. Slimer is Slimer. Just, I guess you could say he's a public. He destroys private property. He destroys private property. That's right. And yeah. uh, public disturbance. But um, he's interfering with the hot dog vendor's business at the very end by consuming all of his hot dogs before <laughs> he gets a chance right. to, to sell them. Yes. But for the most part, we see ghosts in this movie just kind of scaring people and scaring people. It's not illegal. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, if you come into someone's house without being invited, as the gray lady would do, you know, that that's illegal. She's trans, she's, she's trespassing on public property. So if anything, the Ghostbusters are coming in and they're stopping people from loitering yeah. forever, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> so basically, they're, they're the Ghost Loiter Squad. Yeah. Yeah. That should have been the title of the movie. Yeah. But the, but the ghosts aren't out there hurting anybody that we've seen in this movie. Uh, they're, they're not out there killing people right you know and that's kind of one of the funny things about ghost movies is i love them i think that movies about ghosts are way scarier than anything else like if you get wanted me to watch like a monster movie or a ghost movie i would choose the monster movie because the ghost movie for some reason scares me right it just stressed me out there's so much less going on and let's say i'm a really big fan of the movie the others with Mm -hmm. nicole oh yeah great movie so creepy and uh and yet something like um dawn of the dead doesn't scare me at all right uh so it's it's strange how subtlety is the most effective thing for some you know so in the movie the woman in black correct i think that movie gets down to the base at the very end of what would happen if ghosts were real and the end result is that really nothing happens yeah i mean the ghost in that movie is a harbinger of doom right so if you see the ghost you're going to die yeah, uh, so it's, there's a curse involved in the ghost. So in that, to that end, she definitely hurts you. But whenever uh, Daniel Radcliffe finally encounters her at the very end, she just kind of screams at him and passes through him, and that's it. And that's it's it. over. Yeah. So she's scaring you. So there's not the ghosts don't really hurt anybody in Ghostbusters. Uh, the demons that come along later in the movie do, but you know, at the very beginning, the worst Slimer is going to do is pass through you. He's going to startle yeah. you. He's going to eat your chicken, you know, <laughs> that's left outside by room service. And then he's going to ruin your dress <laughs> by sliming you. So, well, okay. So what do you think? Should the, uh, did the ghost deserve a fair trial? I would say to some degree they do. Now we talked the other day about maybe a ghost rehabilitation program that if the ghosts were doing helpful things, like, you know, we talked about the gray lady at the uh, courthouse in Evansville, Indiana, uh, yeah, and the yeah. gray lady in Ghostbusters looks like she's just kind of putting books away. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, so she's actually, she's helping actually out. being helpful. So uh, we can establish that ghosts could have the ability to benefit society. Mm-hmm. So do we take them and say, okay, Slimer, well, you're out here eating a lot of stuff, and that's not good because this belongs to people. How about we take you to a trash dump and you eat all the garbage, and therefore you get rid of the garbage that we have? There you go. Okay, so now we're touching on a bigger, a bigger uh, issue here: a privatization of prisons. Right, because we live in a state that has almost completely private prisons here. Right. And uh, Mother Jones recently pl- published an article on a lot of problems. A guy went undercover in a Louisiana prison uh, as a guard and documented just some some crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, this particular prison, uh, at the time of the article, was cutting services for prisoners to affect their bottom line. So basically, they were taking some things away so they could make more money. They were given money from the state. Now, I want to say that this company, and I'm not going to name who they are, does not run this prison anymore. A different company has taken it over from there, and they have scrapped all of this and turned the prison around. But one of the problems with the privatization of prison is that prisoners can do work, a manual labor. Now, sometimes this isn't bad because it is part of a rehabilitation process, but it's the question is, is a prisoner who stamps license plates all day doing any real benefit for the state or are they a slave at that point? Right. So if the Ghostbusters were to use ghosts as a rehabilitation program, is Slimer being rehabilitated or being a a beneficial member of society? Because at this point we've established that Slimer exists in our universe. He's not going anywhere. But if we get him to go out to uh, Staten Island uh, and and eat garbage all day and take away garbage that we've created and send it to the ether- etheric plane. Is he at that point a slave to humanity beyond the grave? Would he be wearing an orange vest? I don't know that a vest would fit him. Yeah, well, probably. In Ghostbusters 2, it is established that he can wear a bus driver's hat. That's right. So There we go. I, I don't know if he has to will that into being or if some lighter objects can be on top of him or not. Listeners, if you happen to know, hit us up on the Facebook comments and... Uh... So do you know at one point in time we actually had private um, firefighters? Really? Yeah. In fact, uh, I'm going to read a little bit of the Wikipedia article here on firefighters. George Washington, president of the United States, was actually a volunteer firefighter in Alexandria, Virginia. In 1774, as a member of the Friendship Veterans Fire Engine Company, he bought a new fire engine and gave it to the town, which was, which was the town's very first. However, the United States at that time, 1774, did not have government-run fire departments until around the time of the American Civil War. Prior to this time, private fire brigades complete, competed with one another to be the first responder to a fire because insurance companies paid the brigades to save buildings. So at that point in time, do you see that? like Insurance companies would actually pay firefighters. So if let's say there's a fire in town. These guys see a plume of smoke go up. They're all racing to get to the fire first and put the fire out first because whoever is the one who put the fire out would be paid by the insurance company. Right. Okay. So if ghostbusting is kept as a private entity, is that good for the consumer? Would we have competing ghostbusting units? And see, it's so interesting that this is the movie Ivan Reitman turned around. Right. Which it, the, the entire Ghostbusters thing started off being about an industry it's mm-hmm. ghost busting was an industry and there were competing teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's just so ironic. The thing that he 
sort of stripped down. Right. He sort he began you know, he asked the questions that were asked in the initial script by completely changing yeah. the whole idea. And they changed it to these guys fighting with the Environmental Protection Agency as opposed to fighting with each other. Right. Yeah. So, you know, instead of being like tech companies and saying like, well, who can come up with the more efficient way to bust ghosts or the best ghost busting technology, uh, they're fighting with the EPA over how they actually you know, uh, pull power off the power grid in order to keep ghosts inside of a containment unit. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it's it's interesting. But um, you know, this movie does have a very strong libertarian philosophy, and we were talking about the libertarian philosophy earlier, which is basically. And before we go any further, I want to state for the record that we're not going into any personal political views here, and we're just giving a very vague idea of what's going on here. And you know, I'm not. I'm sure that there are people out there who are going to hear what I'm about to say, and they're going to say, you know, you're not really correct about libertarian philosophy and you know the only thing i try to get wrong every day is the ghostbusters minute podcast (laughs) i'm already talking about one thing i don't know anything about but uh, (laughs) basic tenet of a libertarian philosophy is that um liberty is the highest uh that the libertarians strive for personal liberty and that you should be able to pursue things uh without harming other people and without being infringed upon by others or the government so basically that if i do what's best for me and you do what's best for you and we ain't button into each other there shouldn't be a government stumbling block in a way. And as long as we pursue those things, we're not going to fight with each other. So it's ultimately a road for peace. Uh, Now you can extrapolate and the philosophy goes out in crazy ways from there. And you can read into like objectivism and like Ayn Rand and all that stuff. And she has a very strong presence in it. And what the libertarian party is pushing for today. And we are in an election year here. There's lots of uh, information on that. So we'd uh, say, go out there and read about it yourself. But these guys are trying to start their own business and they're, they find the government as a stumbling block constantly, be it either the Environmental Protection Agency or a publicly funded college. So Ray does say something pretty funny here. Uh, he tells Vinkman that life is different outside of the university. and tells Vinkman he's never been outside of the college system. And he, he tells him that in the private sector, people expect results. Right. So the implication there is that he's basically been sheltered by a college that is letting him do whatever he wants. You know, uh, maybe he has, I guess if they had tenure there, they probably wouldn't be kicked out by <laughs> Dean Yeager, but it's, it's kind of a jab at academia as mm-hmm. this place where people can go and spend so much time, uh, you know, studying fire ants on a log in the rainforest or something like that. Yeah. And that, you know, that there's, that that's not a noble pursuit, Personally, I think it is. I think that there's academia brings us uh, all sorts of higher uh, schools of thought and uh, new philosophies, things we can study about. But um, I think it's funny that Ray says, hey, the private sector (laughs) expects results because the minute that Peter gets out there and actually has to work for a boss and he realizes that he can't just smooth talk his way through everything, he's done for. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So anyway, we, um, yeah, we leave the minute off here with Peter you know, letting Ray know about his idea, his grand plan to go into business for ourselves. That promise that was made a couple minutes prior when we see Egon and Ray talking about this, you know, the idea of actually trapping a ghost and Peter's just sitting there listening to it. This is the payoff for that. This is the payoff. Yeah. And here we go. Here the rest of the movie, you know, with the next, I know we don't want to jump ahead, but like, this is a big jumping point. You yeah, know? this is the beginning of their pursuit yeah. of a new business. And this is my favorite portion of the movie coming up, too, is the portion where they're getting the Ghostbusters started up until the point that they actually capture Slimer, and there's that great montage that comes after it. You know, They talked to Dana Barrett there in between all that, too. Yeah. But the idea of them, I, I love that this movie is a throwback to the old... Um, this movie is a throwback to the old Bob Hope. I think there was a Bob Hope movie where they're like yeah. ghost chasers or something like that. But it also reminds me of there is a... Uh, a Mickey Mouse cartoon. 
It's one of my favorite cartoons where Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, and Goofy are Ghostbusters. And these three, these four ghosts in a haunted house think it'd be fun to call up these ghost chasers and get them to come over. And, and this is from like way back when? Yeah. Have you ever seen this? No. I mean, there's like some Laurel and Hardy stuff. There's a, a lot of Abbott and Costello stuff that, you know, yeah. Ghostbusters definitely draws some uh, yeah. inspiration from. But but I love that um, Mickey Mouse one because they're like the Ghostbusters. They're like in this office and like nobody's calling them and they're like sleeping and it's snowing outside. And it's one of those funny things where like maybe one of them snoring and like, you know, a, a Kleenex is going up and down off his face or something yeah. like that. But this reminds me that what the scenes that are coming up remind me of that, that they're getting the business together and the business not doing so hot because mm-hmm. you know, anybody that's tried to uh, pursue their own business as, as you and I have yeah. know that a lot of times things are being held together with, Oh, I don't know, clothes hangers and duct tape. <laughs> and, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and those are also some of your best memories. But before you actually get it, you know, strike your first, uh, little bit of money, it's, it's a, it's a test of your will. You know, yeah. like what do I, when do I consider myself a failure or not? And I think that the, the, my favorite part of this movie is, is coming up. It's them really hitting rock bottom before they finally get to go to the mm-hmm. hotel and capture Slimer. So, so this is kind of the end of the first act. Well, we're in minute 14 here now. We just hit the 10-minute mark. And as we talked about the other day in screenwriting terms, Sid Field says that in the first 10 minutes, you need to establish your characters and establish what the core conceit of the movie is. So we're a little bit after 10 minutes. That's fine. As long as you get around the first 10 minutes of the movie, the audience gets it right. So now we're introducing the Ghostbusters. This is kind of the closing of the first act. This movie has a second heavy act where we're setting up the plot uh, of, of what's going on. A lot going on. It's going to be coming soon after this. And the third act, of course, will be the climax of the movie where they go up to, spoiler alert, they come to the hotel and fight Gozer and everything so and have to save the world. So, yeah, kind of the end of the first act here. We're, we're, we're coming up in it. And if you do a show, a movie minute by minute, sometimes several of the minutes you do in a row, maybe even an entire week would be the closing of an act. Uh, so yeah, it may be yeah, closing yeah, over the next yeah, few yeah, episodes. Point, so, But we got some really good stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks. Like I said, this is what I think is the most entertaining section of the movie. A little bit of lore dropped in, but for the most part, uh, we're still setting up the world. We're still in the world building phase and we get to see the Ghostbusters as a failing business, which is, which is interesting. So Very. All right. Well, do you have anything else? No, that is it. All right, great. Have a great weekend. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And we're here to remind you that death is a door, time is a window. We'll be back. Ghostbusters Minute is a fan-supported podcast. To become a supporter, visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gbminute. You can also find us on social media at facebook.com slash ghostbustersminute, twitter.com slash gbminute, Instagram at Ghostbusters Minute, and visit our website at GhostbustersMinute.com, where you can find merchandise such as t-shirts, stickers, and free balloons for the kids. Balloons subject to not being free, nor real. Our theme song is Ectoplasm by Audionautics, which is licensed under the Creative Commons Attributions License.